When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. Rosenfeld. Throwing. And down the middle. That's complete to Andre Johnson to the five. Rosenfeld. Rolling. Near side. Throwing for the end zone. Touchdown. Andre Johnson. Oh, this man in studio had one heck of a wide receiver to throw to for a part of his career in Andre Johnson. Sage Rosenfels, our journeyman quarterback reporter, has made his way back from the Combine and then, what, France after that and then back to Omaha and back here to Minnesota. You really are a true journeyman both with in your career and after. Well, it's seasonal, and this <laughs> season is my uh, kids' uh, spring break seasons. And my kids go to different school districts, and so, therefore, my son had spring break two weeks ago. Uh, my daughters have spring break this week, and so my son, yeah, we had a, a great trip. He's a Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund soccer fan. Oh. So, for those who don't know, that's like a sort of a in the western part of Germany. And, uh, yeah, we, so we flew uh, from, from Minneapolis into uh, uh, Amsterdam, Gets a direct flight. It's a hub there. Spent spent two days there, and then took the train to Dortmund. Had an unbelievable experience. I'd never been in a European soccer game. It was a Champions League game. They're playing Tottenham. Uh, it was uh, just an unbelievable experience. Very different than American football, college or pro. You know, it's a flowing game. So those chants just sort of go throughout the entire game. They have this thing called the wall. It's 26,000 people who are like their fanatic fans who know all the songs and they're waving the flags and they've got sort of a band and they just sing, sing basically the entire game. It's pretty uh, incredible experience. Uh, spent just one day there. It's a small town. I The best way to describe Dortmund and the team and the city is would be Green Bay. You know, they're they're one of the more pop, they're the, probably the second most popular German uh, team. Uh, Bayern Munich is the number what sort of one team. I think the big money team basically, uh, but it's a small town. I mean, and, and so there were not very many hotel rooms, and the ones they were were outrageously expensive. <laughs> but we had to have a sort of a once in a lifetime experience. So after that day there, um, went to a Cologne for a day, and then finished off in Paris for three days before flying home. Being home for a week in Omaha now, it's my daughter's spring break, and she wanted to see Steph Curry play. Her and her, our neighbor, okay. and they're playing tonight up here. And, well, that's why we're here. Wow. We could have gone anywhere. Could have gone to you know San Diego <laughs> or you know somewhere warmer. But uh, she really, her and our neighbor, they wanted to see Steph Curry play. It's their favorite team. So we're going to the game tonight. We're really excited about that. You that think he's awesome. going to hit another sixty-one foot? Three-pointer? I just saw saw that small clip. Yeah, you know, he will probably in practice. That's the thing. So not only that, and I found this interesting, never really thought about before, but you always see clips online of Steph Curry doing dribbling drills and shooting weird shots and shooting shooting shots from basically the locker room and and, uh, before he goes in. And it's like a a performance. Mm -hmm. He really has like a good time with it. He sort of screws around. He goes bowling or whatever he does out there. Mm -hmm. So therefore... We have to get to the game as soon as the gates open. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Right. So that is a new thing, too, where I never really thought about that. So Steph Curry puts on this pregame performance that, in particular, nine-year-old girls absolutely are super excited to see. They've been talking about that aspect probably more than anything of what he's going to do during the pregame show. I once showed up stupidly early to an Orlando Magic game when Dwight Howard was at his best. 
and Dwight Howard made like 25 free throws in a row for one. So he was always capable of doing it. He just couldn't do it in the games. And then right before he went back into the locker room. We're talking about practice. Not a game. Talking about practice. But then after he went out to the three-point line out of bounds, like right next to the chairs, and started canning threes from there. Like... Dwight Howard is way better at basketball than us. And so the warm-ups, the same with BP with baseball, when you just see like Matt Holiday a couple of times would just send balls 500 feet away. Like that's part of the show. You should have seen it. I mean, that started right after that first championship year. So when I was out there covering them in 2017, that was, I mean, Gates opened 90 minutes before that lower bowl area to watch him and Bruce Frazier go through the choreographed routine, which lasts about 15, 20 minutes. Um, and he always ends, at least at Oracle. I don't know. I don't think he does this on the road, but he always ends with that circus shot from the hallway. Yeah, like that's. I mean, that's as fun as the game. It's for interesting. A lot of yeah, and and you know, athletes. There's this thing about routine. Uh, there's a thing about probably staying loose before a game. Uh, you know, in particular, an NBA game, they're not as intense like as a football game. But to be loose like that, uh, you know, must you know clear his mind and let him play. Really, he plays very free, not mm-hmm. scared to miss a shot. Yep. You know, all those types of things. And uh, but he and like Drew Brees has a routine. He's been doing it since you know my rookie year. Uh, we played them first game. I think he hadn't picked up this sort of this workout routine he sort of does before games until maybe third, fourth year. But there was a guy he works with in San Diego, and he does the same sort of arm stretches and sort of squat stretches or whatever. And he does all this stuff for like 30 minutes, just completely by himself. He does it every single game. If you get to a, a you know a Saints game two and a half hours before, there's Drew out doing his routine. And Steph sort of has his pregame routine too and uh yeah having those things before the game to consistently do those uh, a lot of times players are you know it helps them play better i think did you have one yourself i i like to go out on the field and talk to people that's what i like to do <laughs> i did i was like i'm i'm first thing i did i guess later in my career i would get off the bus uh, and maybe stop in the locker room quick, but probably not even go in the locker room. I drop off my bag and then go right down to the field with my phone. Cause you know, this is a time when like, you know, this is nine, 10, 11, you know, the, the phone, the cameras were getting pretty good at that point on the back of the phone. So that's when I'd walk out there with nobody in the stadium and like take some pictures, mm-hmm. you know, Seattle on a sunny day or green Bay and it's snowy out and just sort of see the lay of the land, what it's like out there and take a few pictures, maybe send them home to my kids or whatever. Uh, that, I guess that was a, a sort of routine that I got. At the end, but you know, nothing in particular. I did like to go out early though uh, and stretch and warm up and, and throw at the receivers, but I also like to, you know, maybe chat with the quarterback from the other team or, or you know, get in conversations with other coaches from the other team a little bit who I hadn't seen in years. So that's sort of part of the journeyman experience as well, as you always know people from the other teams. Somebody asked me a great question on Twitter because we threw it out there like, hey, if you got any questions for Sage, then throw them at us. And uh, you did start games in your career, but spent a lot as a backup quarterback. And they were curious, the, the tweeter, about, the value that you bring to a team as a good backup quarterback, because I, I had Mike Triplett. You can't from, pay him enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had Mike they, Triplett, should give, um, they should give money to the guys who didn't make as much, because the other guys should always be getting paid more. Well, the, the ESPN reporter from the Saints, Mike Triplett, said that Teddy Bridgewater brought a ton of value just because the defense loved practicing against him because he could emulate the other offense. Yeah. Like, usually you don't have someone who was a first-round pick and won 11 games as your backup, so he was giving the defense better looks. So I think they were curious about, just on a weekly basis, if you're not starting, what value you bring to your team. I think there's a lot. Uh, you know, just the, the camaraderie, the support of the starter. You're looking things in meetings and, and you know, to maybe help the starter see the things you see and sort of create conversation. I think that's the thing that happens a lot in, in quarterback's room is conversation. What happens if we do this, if we do that? We, could we rig it this way? When we see this, could we do this? And, you know, there's this game plan, but things do change and evolve over the course of the week because you just keep watching more and more film, uh, you know, three, four hours a day or whatever it is. So you start to see more things. Uh, you see how things look in practice. Now nah, that didn't look very good. Let's sort of throw that out. That's a bad idea. You start mm-hmm. to see more tendencies. So I, I think there's a lot of value there. I think there's value of like, I like working with the receivers, uh, you know, after practice, the young guy should develop those young guys. We'd be doing drills together, um, uh, you know, try to get, in the, get, get in my extra thrown and, and things like that. So I, I think there's a lot there, you know, just being a, a positive team member, mm-hmm. you know, somebody that's given tips on the sidelines. I think, you know, that, that, that's a spot in the game. So it's, again, it's one of those things, the longer you're around, you've just seen so much football and we've all only, if you play middle school football, high school football, college football, 
uh, or just watch a lot. Like that's really your only experience, but really the, the NFL game is so much more complex and sophisticated and detailed because you have so much more time. This is your full time job. This is it. You're thinking about it, talking about it, working on it for 10, 12 hours a day for a lot of the year. That's way more than college football. That's mm-hmm. way more than high school football, which is a couple hours after school. Uh, and then you go play your games. You don't have all this meeting time and detail time and study time and, and advanced playbooks and all these things that, that teams do. Uh, and so you can add that value the more you, know, you have in the league. But I mean, doesn't mean you're great. I always say the, a good backup quarterback wins half of his games. And I had started 12 games and I was six and six. So maybe that's why I say that. But I do think, you know, you, you don't sign a backup quarterback to win you the Super Bowl. You, to, it's to keep you in the hunt for the Super Bowl mm-hmm. to not have the season completely fall off the, uh, the, the table. So I, I think a guy that's, you know, does all those good locker room things, maybe doesn't always challenge the starter to make the starter feel unse- uh, unsettled. Uh, but I think there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of spaces for value there. You would not believe how many quarterbacks in the NFL that were journeymen who have exactly 500 records for their career. Really? Kyle Orton, Brock Osweiler, I just looked up today for a potential for a backup, like for the Vikings, you know, because of the connection. Just so many. Jeff Garcia, it's almost exactly 500. Jeff Garcia was not a journeyman backup. I mean, the second half of his career sort of bounced around. He he won playoff games and went to Pro Bowl. 58 and 58. His all-time record. Yes. That's a lot of starts. That's no, a lot of you're starts. right. You're right. But he was like for the most part after the he early. Did bounce, he did bounce days. around once. Uh, you know, him and To sort of split up in San Francisco. Well, he meets. We we've argued about this a lot, Courtney, about like what what ju- uh, constitutes a journeyman backup quarterback. We have and four teams. At least four teams, which Garcia blows that away. Okay, it's a it is a bonus, by the way, if. Uh, or, or is it a criteria where you have to have um, second stint yes, with the same team, which I have two of which those. Which Garcia had with Philadelphia. He came back in 2009. He had a second stint. That's like a I was bonus. At the, I was at that playoff game, actually. Really? Yeah. Uh, but he, he made four Pro Bowls, which probably puts him out of the conversation. Yeah, no, he too was good. He was definitely too good to be a journeyman <laughs> backup. But he was a he was like a journeyman starter backup. I mean, he you know started that's his own category. Yeah, so that's like, but yeah. where does so Ryan Fitzpatrick just signed with the rest of the AFC East? I mean, like, how many did, he is start? He I I don't is he a starter. Is he yes. a journeyman? Did we go is through this more, before? It was how many teams is above ten? So um, hold on, it's like I, I saw out. a great tweet by Rich Eisen yesterday, and it was a picture of. Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, signed his contract. He's his beard is as big as it's ever been, <laughs> and he sort of cr- almost felt like he created a character, like about, like ar- signing the armistice deal with the do- with Miami or something like that. And I feel like there's going to be there'd be some great like you know faux uh, Andrew Luck or these different mm-hmm, random mm-hmm. you know fake Twitter feeds that are uh, sort of make fun of the, you know the person's appearance or type you know th- whatever. You know, the Andrew Luck thing is hilarious, by the way. I'm not sure if you guys follow oh, yes, much of that. Yes. The the way, he's War, a Civil Andrew War Luck, yeah. captain or general. Dearest or something. mother. Dearest Beth. <laughs> Dearest Beth. Um, so, but I think there's this thing with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick in Miami of like the, you know, the captain of the the, the ship, uh, you know, the, the tough waters of the Caribbean. I think there's, there's, there's going to be a thing there uh, on Twitter, hopefully at some point soon. I'm curious to get your take <laughs> on the how the whole Miami and New Orleans situations you know, kind of shook out the last few days because we were talking about this. I think it was last Thursday night. Kind of remember I was bouncing that idea off you. I'm like, did Teddy really make the right decision? Yeah. What do you think about that? Because I think there's so few jobs for starting quarterbacks in the NFL that when you have the opportunity and you don't know how long, what if Drew Brees wants to play until he's 45? Do you think he made the right choice? Teddy he's Bridgewater? $12,500 this year and probably not play football and just get better and learn the game more from Drew Brees. And then possibly next year, either be a free agent again uh, or take over that team and he'll maybe get another 12-5 or whatever it is. I mean, or to go into a situation probably for a lot of money. I'm sure he left a ton of money, guaranteed money on, on the table, I would think. I would, if I was a team, I'd offer, I would offer Teddy. With Miami, you're Blake saying. Bortles' deal last year of, of three years, $54 million yeah. and like with 30 guaranteed or something. I, Teddy Bridgewater, I think, is much better than him. I'd rather have him as my quarterback in a, in a playoff game, in a tight ball game. Um, I think that he has some big contracts ahead of him if he stays, stays healthy. Uh, I I look at that New Orleans thing as why not just wait another year? Why not just wait? Be twenty eight when you hit free agency. How much right? How much might he make with the Vikings before? I mean, twenty million. Yeah, he's on his rookie deal. Yeah, it would have right. Been, so I mean, I but a first round draft pick, a late first round draft pick. I'm not sure how much it was, but you know. 
they know, declined his fifth year option. I do remember yeah, that. So we're talking so it have been twenty-four to thirty million dollars or so he's made at this point. Mm-hmm. Yes, he put some, uh, you know, but to have a um, uh, to put he put some money uh, probably on the table. He left off the table or whatever. But I think he's looking for the right situation and head coach, offensive coordinator, quarterback, offensive line, all those things. That's how to be a you know that's the best way to be a successful quarterback. And I think that Miami that situation is a complete rebuild. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a drafting complete. a quarterback. He's yes. also maybe he okay. doesn't want to go home. You know, he's from a tough part of Miami. You know, you you, you enter the whole world of then there's distractions and there's people who you know old high school friends. Uh, he doesn't have to deal with any of that, and maybe right. that's that's you know he looks at that's his best interest too. Maybe the Miami is the worst place for him. He only made about seven with Minnesota because he didn't sign. They didn't sign him to the fifth year option. Okay, so he made. Uh, Less than I guess we would have thought, but he so made he, he just doubled a good chunk at least last year, probably yeah. doubled of what he's made in his previous you know part of his career. He's set for life. That's the thing. If he's smart with his money, he is set for life. That's a great feeling to have. But I think he's looking again long term for the right situation. If Teddy has the career that he hopes to have, that's another what ten years now. Guys are playing until their late thirties. I can see him playing to mid thirties, even almost to forty if he stays healthy. So uh, he's got that type of game. He's got the type of value, even as a backup at some point, a career sort of backup later maybe. But I think there's going to be a spot. Uh, I, I I thought if if like Nick Foles wasn't available, I thought Jacksonville would have been an interesting. Yeah, they spot were in, the, weren't they? Not in the mix. I remember he at has the combine, that style. That was Put him up. on a team with a yeah. good defense, mm-hmm. a running game with Fournette, and that, that whole thing, and have that style of football that I. But the John D. Filippo, Nick Foles thing, and and I think uh, Vikings fans should are we going to keep an eye on that? Yeah, <laughs> that yes, sounds yes, interesting yes. to me. Well, uh, as that thing progresses, because I, by the way, I'm a huge Nick Foles fan. I, you know, he's sometimes inconsistent, but give me like the 85 percent really good Nick Foles and 15 percent bad Nick Foles because he can win you a lot of games. Can you explain Teddy Bridgewater and and his value? Because it's something that people give me a hard time about. Because because um, you talk about it so often. Because I do. I talk about his. Uh, ability in the big situations was just so clear to me in 2015, but then also his impact on teammates. And I did an article last year where I walked up to different teammates, Thielen, Diggs, Rudolph, a number of them, and just asked one question, basically, what did Teddy Bridgewater do to make you a better player? And the answers I got were the, maybe the best I've ever gotten from athletes. I mean, it was incredible. And I, I wonder about that as just a teammate and a leader in that quarterback position, how even when he wasn't playing in 2017, he was still helping Adam Thielen with different routes and understanding quarterback perspective, and yeah. they were meeting all the time, and Thielen said he made him a better wide receiver. And it, Listen, I, I think wide there's receivers, to that. Wide receivers uh, that, and just players in general, left tackles, you know, centers, they start to actually tried to think how a quarterback is thinking and all the things that we have to see and all that things that we're trying to see in the defense and how if you're a receiver to really understand coverage and the detail and the blitz and how this is going to work out and where they should be, it's an incredible uh, asset to have for a wide receiver. And the ones that really start to see how a quarter, what a quarterback's looking at, you know, am I going to get the ball versus this type of coverage and what's the quarterback reading and yada, yada, yada. You can become a... Uh, you can anticipate as a receiver. You can you know, sort of run the route and know the coverage before it happens and start to see things move just like a quarterback does. It gives you a really big advantage. And I assume, I assume Teddy Bridgewater is extremely likable. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you that. I think that guys really like him. They like his consistency. He's, you know, he just knows how to probably, uh, he's a, easy guy to talk to in the locker room or on a bus, but I think he's consistent. He doesn't go up or down. He's probably not a huge attention seeker, which which I always, I love that when quarterbacks aren't big attention seekers. Mm-hmm. They already get enough attention, but the guys that can spread it around and treat everybody the same, I bet you Teddy Bridgewater is very likable. Sage Rosenfels in studio here on Purple Daily, ESPN's Courtney Cronin as well, Matthew Collar with you. We're going to take a quick break. And coming up for the rest of the show, next, will the scheme save us all with Sage, who played for Gary Kubiak? And we want to play a fun game with you, Sage, called Sage's Phone, because uh, you have so many contacts in that cell phone. We're going to pick a letter, and then you're going to tell us who the best contacts you have at that, that start with that letter. We'll do that before we end the show. Sage Rosenfels in studio with us here on Purple Daily. We'll be back on Score North. 
Hey everyone, it's Matthew Collar. You can find my new show, Score North Live, every day from 2 to 4 p.m. on the all-new Score North on 1500 and on demand at scorenorth.com. In addition to Vikings Talk, we break down the most important and pressing subjects like the responses to Kirk Cousins' tweets. I would like that. And which Fast and the Furious movie is the best. Those types of things. Yeah. It's Score North Live with me, Matthew Collar, available on scorenorth.com and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. We know all the positions. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Scorenorth.com. And this portion of Purple Daily is brought to you by Robert W. Baird and Company. Rosenfels with the ball. The bootleg takes the pass. Dives for the end zone. And in for the touchdown. Sage Rosenfels, brilliant on that first drive through the air and then scoring the touchdown on the bootleg. Sage Rosenfels is playing awfully well for Mike Shanahan. He has to be thinking, I've seen this offense somewhere before. You know, (laughs) Gary Kubiak and the Texans right now running it the way that they always ran it in Denver. Sage Rosenfels, brilliant. We brilliant. should just every time he makes a good point, we should just have that. Just Sage Rosenfels, brilliant, brilliant. Every time, uh, Sage Rosenfels in studio with us, our journeyman quarterback reporter. I'm going to beat you to the next conversation. Okay, go ahead. All right. Anticipation. You, is as a we big went part into commercial break, you talked about this Gary Kubiak. We you called it something. What'd you call it? I said, "Can the scheme save us? Can the scheme save us?" And then during that clip, Chris Collinsworth was talking about Mike Shanahan has seen this before. Uh-huh. That was a Even Thursday bootleg. night. They that said was a bootleg. Thursday night game. The only rushing touchdown of my career. Uh, a naked bootleg to the left. I dove into the end zone versus the Denver Broncos on a Thursday night game wearing all red. We looked like ketchup bottles. <laughs> and uh, the, the offensive linemen just hated wearing battle red, they call it. So it was a Thursday night game. And we're playing against the Broncos. And, and obviously they had Cutler and they were running that, you know, very two very similar schemes, this zone play action bootleg type of offense that now the Vikings will be running definitely more than they did last year. Uh, I'll tell you that much. So let's say, for example, that the Vikings... Um, have guards, right? Where they get 2019. I don't know where, where do they come from. I know that's your question. I don't know where they're getting them. What month are we in? If we fast forward it <laughs> all the way to June and we're in OTAs and they have players on the roster, draft. Maybe there's some free agency guys that they can still make a few million bucks for. I don't know. Building but a mystery. I'm gonna assume that there will be human beings playing the guard. There'll be position. enough. There'll be seven to dress on game day. Maybe eight. Now, now we've asked you a little bit about this before, but it'd be awesome if you can go in depth about oh. the Shanahan system and just how specifically it can help the offensive line. Because I think if you're a Vikings fan, it's very reasonable right now to be terrified that there's no guards on the roster. Well, that's yeah, what well, yeah, that is a little terrifying to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm sure they're trying to find the right contracts. They don't have a lot of salary cap room, you know, and it's, it is great to have these great players. I'm guessing Rob Brzezinski is in a tough spot. They have drafted so well. Uh, on really both sides of the ball. They've kept their own. They've done a great job with that, which leaves them really tight to the salary cap. Uh, they decided to sign back Anthony Barr. They got both receivers under contract. Long, you know, they sent Cousins to a huge contract. and you know, All these things sort of add up. And uh, it's, it's, it's better to re-sign guys and have this problem than to just have no good draft picks and never want to re-sign anybody and always going for free agents and overpaying, right? So... Mm-hmm. It is a good thing, but it's leaving them in a, in a tough spot with only so much room to wiggle here to try to find some players. So you got to think they're going to draft somebody in the first round. I could just not imagine that they don't. But they you know, you, then again, you never know. Uh, they could move up. They could maybe bounce down, get a couple of second round guys. But yeah, they're looking for some. From some, they're looking for offensive linemen. I got to think at this point, if they can find a left tackle or a right tackle that they just love, they're going to need some guards, obviously. But you know, Rick Dennison is going to have. Uh, you know, that, that's a name that we should probably be talking about a lot, too. He's been a part of that style system in almost every possible way, from offensive coordinator on a couple of different teams to, you know, O-line coach in this style, this Alex Gibbs style of offense. So he has his hands full, uh, I'm sure. And and I, I do think he'll do a great job. I think, uh, you know, at, at some point they're going to get an offensive line out there, and I think they'll get better as the year goes on because it takes a lot of reps in that system. Inside zone, outside zone takes a lot of reps. And I think you get better as, a, as the time goes on. Well, they've made a point 
throughout the offseason when talking to us that it's not just who they get in free agency or the draft, but the scheme. Like we've been talking about, can the scheme, can new coaching, new ideas, can it fix everything? And I, I have a quote from Rick Spielman from last week when we asked him about the offensive line. Um, that I thought was kind of interesting, just getting to really the crux of what this philosophy is. And he said... Quote, one thing about the staff and coaching in general is when you have players that maybe you have to play with sometimes that aren't red or blue top line players, they find ways schematically to hide some of those weaknesses. Mm. I think listening to some of the philosophies in the coaches meeting that I've sat in a little bit, and I know Coach Zimmer has been sitting in almost every offensive meeting on ways that we can make things better, but to also get a new, a whole new perspective of, of a staff who doesn't know any of our players and for them to come in. And so it goes on and on and on from there, but they They've had so many coordinator changes over the last few years. They've had guys come and go. They've overpaid for guys in free agency. They've gotten a few draft picks that have worked out. They've also drafted offensive linemen high very rarely, but they have and they haven't panned out. What can this? We should, by the way, we should always just draft receivers after the fifth round. I think we should. Yeah. Do, you know, those the guys only ones that work out yeah. in Minnesota. <laughs> oh yeah, or just or just get them at a college uh, free agent tryout yeah. somewhere at a regional combine. Diamonds um, in the rough. You got to find those. But in terms of, you know, what I, I just thought that was an interesting point because we always talk about the players and the personnel, but now it seems like they want to flip the script on that and go back to the narrative of scheme. Scheme, yeah. Do, do you kind of see, I mean, what, what do you, how do you interpret what Spielman's saying here in terms of, it almost kind of seems like, hey, we can admit we're probably not going to get who we want, at least in free agency, but we can get guys in the draft and the scheme is going to help them get them well, to where and, they need to be. And they will find some guys in free agency. They're just going to get cheaper and mm-hmm. cheaper and they're going to be guys coming off injury possibly that they feel like are healthy or guys that just didn't fit, they don't feel fits the scheme that they're in. There's going to be random releases at some point. You know, There's going to be a salary cap cut somewhere maybe even in training camp like mm-hmm. those like Alex Boone was like that was yeah. he not he yep. was like training camp cut so you see these guys like that so they're waiting to find their crew they're not going to overpay to to try to find it right now but when you talk about scheme when you talk about you know this zone blocking versus what they would call man blocking or gap block schemes you know these gap block schemes there's a lot of one-on-ones there's a down block by the guard on like the nose tackle in the center or you know the tackler they're pulling around and it's really mono mono i'm coming off and, and i have to hold you with this spot so somebody can come around to a man block on like a linebacker who's scraping over the top all right you can visualize that but in this scheme <clears throat> excuse me it's a lot of Double teams, the guard in the center, uh, the, the tackle and tight end, the guard, tackle, and tight end on a triple block are working their way up two people, pushing that off, that D lineman defensive end and working their way, really, you know, putting 600 pounds uh, on the, you know, 280 pound, you know, a tackle or 300 pound tackle, and then working, trying to get some movement get that movement and then work their way up to however that linebacker scrapes over the top. If he scrapes to the right, the guy on the right is going to have him. He scrapes over to the left, the guy on the left ha- is going to have him. And at some point, they'll just be out of gaps and they'll miss a gap and somebody will get will get beat or somebody will get reached and that's where these big holes are and that's where if you have a disciplined running back and sort of a disciplined offensive line that's worked well together that uh, that this, that's how this sort of scheme works. So it's not like, you know, mano mano where we have the big guys or we're just going to sort of run you over and mm-hmm. we're going to come downhill one-on-one at you. No, it's this working together thing and you create this movement and then with that comes the bootleg game. With that becomes the the play action game. Uh, and so it's not just the running scheme. It's how the play action type stuff that rather than just dropping back 35 times a game, that's hard to do in the NFL in particular when you don't have a great offensive line, right? Sure. When we're with Favre, he got destroyed. Hutchinson's like a possible hall of fame left guard. Sully's played in the set in the league now for like 11 years. Big Mac at left tackle. Phil Lowell was a huge guy. Those are like big men, Mano mano, it was less scheme in that type of team and more like we're just going to beat you up type mm-hmm. of football. And every every uh, uh, type of team has uh, different philosophies. How do they become a better second level team? That was something it seemed like the element that was missing last year, and especially on the interior. I think there wasn't great detail in you know the the footwork and the hand placement, all the little things. It's a, it's a very complex equation and puzzle, and I think they just didn't have that detail. I think the loss of Coach Sperano was a, a probably a major part of that. Uh, they had a mix of players. They they were they traded for somebody. Uh, was it uh, Brett Jones, Brett Jones, Jones like, during camp? We'll so, never forget it. You know, a lot of times a scheme takes development. It's a true development style offense, and it's. 
not the best time to like sort of overhaul and develop and get these young guys because we've got a you know this window here that we've been talking about, and that's why they went out and got cousins. But it is a developmental offense where there'll be guys they might sign that maybe start in the practice squad by the end of the year. They're playing some, and next thing you know, they're a regular starter for us. And like, who is like, a, oh, he was a seventh rounder. Mm-hmm. Those types of guys seem to do well in this offense. That was like a Nick Easton, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very with Pat Shermer, mm-hmm. right? I mean, was he, we, we don't have $6 million to spend on one guy. No. I, mean, right. I like think it was a back. smart move to not overpay. Good for him. You know, yeah, I, I, mean, I think, I think it's an over, again, that's an overpay. Yeah. Right? The, 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 the Patriots don't seem to overpay with their offense mind. Why Dante Skarnecchia, the best O-line coach in the history of the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, yeah. hit it, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think he's so good. And so it allows, you know, this sort of, it's the scheme. It's really the teaching of the scheme, you know. Uh, and I think some uh, offensive line coach is the hardest one to find the really, really good ones. So something that we've discussed sometimes is just how Kirk Cousins, when he is supposed to go to a read, he's going to go to that read kind of regardless of who the player is. And he threw a lot to Laquan Treadwell last year. And I was looking at some numbers with Pro Football Reference, and Laquan Treadwell and plays that involved him was a negative player from like an expected points perspective. And Thielen and Diggs were, of course, super positive for them. The year before, Jarius Wright was a positive player for Case Keenum. I'd like, like Jarius Wright. Me too. I yeah, wanted them to resign him last you know? year. And, and but, well, not, but not flashy, right? He wasn't flashy. He was just sort of like that Consistent. He's sort of like a. He was sort of a Cheryl's. Yep. On the yep. offensive side of the on ball. On third down. They they yeah. called him yeah. Mister Third Down, and he won room. some games. He did. I remember the the, the Jets uh, quick screen or whatever at the end it was yep. the Jets. I think to to win. I mean, he he won games. He had some big catches. He had a good year in Carolina. All things he, considered, he, great he guy by the way. Great, great guy. guy. Mm-hmm. And he made a big catch in the uh, Minneapolis Miracle game too. Okay. I think on a third down. Well, that was missing from last year, and I, I wonder about them. So you've been on the third wide receiver hunt yes. now for a yes. month. I, I have. Are, are you sick of it yet? Because I am. I was. <laughs> that's too bad. I, I'm, not, to I'm, not sick of the ta- I'm not sick of the talk that they need another weapon. They do. Whether it's a tight end or third wide so receiver, it's, it's the three. And and I love Rudy, but he's not that vertical threat. There's a there's he brings so much value to this team on the field off the field, the, the community, the, mm-hmm. everything. Great on third downs. I like like the way he blocks, but he can't. He's not going to stretch the field, and you need to have that third threat, whether it's a receiver. Yep. But really, we'd love to have as a extremely fast receiver. What I'd love to have as a, as a really a third, fourth receiver is someone that is can really fly. Yeah. Those guys are the best because mm-hmm. then it opens up. So we had that in, my, in Houston when we had Andre Johnson. How do we get Andre Johnson the ball 120 times? Because we had guys like Jacoby Jones and some other guys who – Andre Davis, who are just like track sprinters, and they could fly and clear out these big pieces of grass for uh, Andre Johnson to work. We need somebody like that, and that could be a sort of a second tight end that's more a vertical guy, maybe like, you know, 240 pounds, but he can really stretch the field. He's fast vertically, more of a receiver tight end type, or uh, a guy, a receiver who can really roll. That would it would open up all that stuff for the underneath guys. So I was thinking about just from the perspective of a Shanahan style Gary Kubiak offense and what it means to have a tight end who can run after the catch or who is a little bit more of a vertical threat. So if you were going to, if you were given the choice, would you get Kirk Cousins, one of those type of, I don't know, Mm. scat players out of the backfield, like a Chris Thompson who he had in Washington that could play wide receiver or running back. Would you get him a number two tight end who was quick or would you give him the pure number three wide receiver for this offense? I think I'd like to see more of a, super fast, speedy, uh, third down killer tight end explosive guy, but a tight end that's maybe his block. He's not. I mean, that's the thing is like Noah Fant would be like that guy. He'll probably be a first round pick, but I watched him in Iowa. He was the second tight end and he had all this talent, wrote, mm-hmm. you know, had crazy numbers, but he wasn't a great blocker. So yeah. he was sort of like the, what you call the U tight end in the set. The Y is your main tight end, usually the better blocker, but you were looking for that second tight end guy because I want to run the football, you know, like I was tired of being in shotgun last year. I don't like running the ball to, it's so, it helps so much the tackles. If your tackles aren't great, they can double team and all the zone blocking schemes with a tight end and get movement on like a defensive end, and then they work their way up to a you know outside linebacker, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, I like double teams in the running game in this zone running game, and you get you can go either way when you're in a 
two tight end set, uh, whether it's two receivers or two backs, but you can sort of go either way and they're going to get that extra double team. And I like having that ability in particular on third downs, third one and two. I like running the ball on third and one too, you know, and, and, and the ability to do that, but you have to have that you know good second tight end that can also beat you in the passing game. I think I'd love the second tight end too, just because so many teams don't have it and it creates a mismatch where you see opponents bring in three linebackers. You're like, this is great if you have that second well, guy yeah, who can you, go down the field. And you formation things. That's also the guy you put outside as like a wide receiver. You right. know, you know what? They have a strong safety who is maybe it's the backup that's in or a guy that's just not much. He's not, he's a, he's a box guy, as they would say. And mm-hmm. like, we want to pick on that strong safety and man coverage. Uh, and so you put him out wide and you, you sort of play him as a wide receiver. So that creates this sort of like man zone thing. Mm-hmm. And again, in that Shanahan Kubiak offense, they like, and I know Stefanski loves to do it too. And this, again, this is a Kevin Rogers used to say this to us. If the defense is going to tell you what to do, you might as well ask them. And that was sort of the thing with like mm-hmm. putting tight ends or fullbacks or running backs out wide. Oh, yeah. if, if they cover yeah. them with a strong safety or linebacker, you know, it's man coverage like 98% of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a part of this style of offense too. Cause then they can start creating packages. We're going to put a tight end outside. We're going to call this run. We're going to call this pass. But if they're in man coverage, we're going to call this special screen that we have in store because we think we can hit it versus man coverage. And there's no one there. And, and we like the, you know, that, type of play. So there's all these things they do with that, that second tight end that could be you know really good for other aspects of the game. What is Gary Kubiak going to do with this run game to restore it? Especially working now with Dalvin Cook, they haven't been able to keep him on the field because of injuries, but you saw what he did with Foster, with Davis, with Anderson over the years of their careers. Can Kubiak play guard? Sorry. I just wanted to be Twitter. That scheme, versus, scheme versus uh, uh, player. It's X's yeah. and O's and the Jimmy the Joes, right? That's the, that's the thing. Anyway, go ahead. Well, I mean, we just... There's a plan for Dalvin Cook. There's been a plan for him. He can't stay on the field because of health concerns. How, but many, how many games did he miss last year? He was gone from, he did, played one half in week four in Los Angeles, and then he came back in week nine. So it was basically five one, games or five, something. Yeah, about be, between and week three and nine. Previous year was 11 four. games. Yeah, he played four games. Then he got he tore his ACL in week four against Detroit. But just kind of seeing how Gary Kubiak and where he's been before restored the run game and he's taken no-name guys and turned Arian Foster into what he was. Yeah, what so is he going to do here? Well, there's a discipline with that, this running style. It's not like give the ball to the running back and go, hey, make magic happen. Mm-hmm. Right? There's like this discipline and you know, based off, they have these reads. The running back have reads like if, if the, I'm, 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 you know, I'm heading towards the the, the uh, right tackle's outside leg, and based off of the the, the three technique, shoot wider, did he come inside, or there's a linebacker they're looking at and how they floor the top and where that cut is. And I would think Dalvin Cook is going to be very good in this offense if he can stay healthy. So I, I would think that, that, that but they're going to need a second running back, by the way. That's a whole other conversation. Maybe another bigger guy. Because right now, they don't really have a... They, they signed Amir Abdullah yesterday, but, but he's, he's not that guy. No, he's not that guy, right? He's like a poor man's Jarek McKinnon, I sort of see him yeah, as. Yeah, really, right? really yep. good <laughs> Way to phrase it. Sage Rosenfels in studio with us. Courtney Cronin and I, Matthew Collar, here on Purple Daily. We'll take a quick break. We will look into Sage's cell phone and his contacts and the magic that exists in there. And also take a couple of your questions from Twitter for Sage. When we come back, you're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. It's Purple Daily on Score North. Constant coverage on your phone, your computer, your smart speakers, your radio. You hear that? Feast your ears. Scorenorth.com. Celebrate everything Minnesota and run your first race of the spring with a hot dash 5K and 10 mile at Boom Island this Saturday, March 23rd. You'll earn a Storm Creek long sleeve quarter zip technical pullover and finish your medal. Enjoy a steamy serving of finish line hot dish and cool down with a free post-race beer. Visit tcmevents.org to register for the Hot Dash this Saturday, March 23rd. After that last segment, we are just swimming in footballs here in the studio. Talking schemes, talking hand placement, footwork. That was that was football. That was like... Yeah. yeah, I almost tackle Judd does that. I'm not sure how much I, I'm not sure how much I like that. By the way, when Judd has that button, he presses and goes football, football, oh, yeah. football. I'm not sure how much I really. Why? I don't know. It's awesome because it says football. A couple it times. really is like the gotta eat gotta part. Eat. Yeah. That's that, that to me is football. We yeah, both it's, that, eat. it's that science of the game. It's hard to describe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to sit here and and to try to visualize to the listener to really anybody that hasn't watched hours and hours and hours of real film not you know the tv versions but the real film to try to 
to get people to understand how it sort of works and, and how the, you know, the, the different schemes, it's not just the language, it's not just this, but it's the individual schemes, but really is it's the teacher. That is this thing, you know, the, the exact same, you know, Matt LaFleur runs a very similar offense to Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, I would assume almost all the same, but they are three different teachers and they're teaching different things and they, they create differently when they see different things. And Coops has his style and Rick Dennison has his style. It's not the exact same as Alex Gibbs, sort of the godfather of the zone scheme, but it, everyone has their style. And it's how does that whole thing mesh and work together with, which I'm really interested to see what Kevin Stefanski is going to do. I'm excited for him. Uh, I don't think this is going to be a high powered offense and that's just fine. We're not looking for that. I think it's going to be a, I'm hoping it's a very creative and smart offense that uh, is very efficient. We always talk about efficiency uh, and play action is a great way to be efficient because it gives you that chance, a little more time in the pocket to really throw the ball downfield and make a big play. Mm-hmm. But there are also a lot of times very high completion percentage uh, type plays because it allows that defense to really drop deep. And then there's even checkdowns that hit for, you know, seven, eight, nine yards. And so I'm interested to see this entire offense come together. We got to get some players though. Yeah, I'm curious about Rick Dennison's role because that's kind of what we're trying to figure out, like the what this power structure looks like. Because Kevin Stefanski talked about kind of the melding of minds when he was introduced in with Mike Zimmer, and then when we got to meet the offensive staff, and when Gary Kubiak was at the podium talking about how he kind of let Rick Dennison delegate and and become that run game coordinator, and that's his baby. And you know, we take the run fits, and then we we what we want to work it in with the passing game. How does that yeah. work? Like, well, how will he, so you don't have too many cooks type thing. How so, does that whole thing work? So this is how things work in uh, an offensive staff. As far as I know uh, on Monday, Tuesday, at some point, the O-line coach and, and sort of all of them together a lot of times with the coordinator, but a lot of times the O-line coach is like, these are the protections I'd like to run. These are the ones that concern me based off of the, the tape. These certain blitzes are just a hard on that protection or whatever. These are the runs that I like. Then after that, in particular, let's just say the runs, you know, we like this type of run or this type of run. We're going to do this when we see these looks and you start creating this thing. That's when you start uh, creating the, uh, the pat, the play action and the bootleg type stuff off of that. Cause mm-hmm. you want them to complement each other, but it does start with the runs first and then the complementary passes and pass protections and bootlegs that go off. They'll look the exact same. A lot of times, sometimes out of the same formation okay why is kirk so good at it i mean that, that is the best part of his game is running he's an executor the play action he's an executor all right he's not a guy that you want he's not patrick mahomes he's sort of on the other end of the spectrum uh it doesn't mean you can't win with an executor you definitely can you can win a lot of games you can uh, you hopefully win a super bowl that's the goal uh they're two very different styles and and uh but it's he's an executor that's just sort of the way he is i think that's sort of his mentality and this style of offense it's more based off execution unless somebody's got to make a play because that because when that happens that's not his uh, that's not what he's best at Got a couple of fan questions for you, Sage. This is like classic radio. Like, oh, we've got a celebrity in studio. And (laughs) Nate asks this question to you, Sage. Uh, Nate wants to know who your favorite Viking teammate was when you played for the Vikings. Do we, I mean, it's like far. I, I feel like that's, that's, uh, can we not say far for that? Because it's just like if you you back up far, it's pretty cool. That is a, you know, very tough. That's a really interesting question. I don't know. I'd have to think about that for a second. You're sort of throwing that on me. You know, Shanko is a trip. Shanko was hilarious. Vasante Shanko, our tight end. He was a trip back then. Uh, I occasionally see him at these Viking alumni events. He's like as funny as now as he ever was. Mm-hmm. So he was sort of a character, right? He was a, definitely a character. Chad Greenway was a great guy to, you know, I, I liked just sort of hanging out with him. And he's, you know, such a down to earth Midwestern guy. And yeah. Sort of always had this uh, very realistic and positive attitude, and and you know was when he was all in. That's what he loved about Chad. Mm-hmm. I like talking to Lieber, you know, a smart guy. So um, there's a vast array of of you know. Again, I was over this sort of random stretches, like one full year, then a couple like a end of a season, yeah. a couple of training camps. It was a very uh, sort of back and forth type of thing. So I didn't have these like deep friendships, you know, or whatever with, uh, with, with guys on this team. But yeah, there's a lot of characters. I will say that there's a lot of talent, but with that talent, there's a lot of characters on this, in particular, that 2019. Now, were you on the team when Shanko had a famous No, I missed incident? that by a year, I think. Yeah, I missed that by a year. But it was like, there's one of the things I knew going into it. Like, you know, first time, you know, first OTA or first offseason workout, yeah. like, oh, here's the tight end that, you know, I saw in that video, that TMZ video, whatever that popped up. <laughs> 
Post game. Uh, there's only so much detail we would supposedly be allowed got a lot by of the FCC to go into. Supposedly, there, it. there were a lot of lot, lot of uh, people sliding into his DMs after that. <laughs> that was the, and he was an early Twitter guy, so yeah. So I think that that uh, yeah, people enjoyed that. I guess I've always wondered about Favre as a guy, um, like as a teammate, because he's just an extreme ball buster right i mean just like made fun of guys and always was picking on he guys was always sort like of that. putting on a show a little yeah. bit you yeah. know not always but a lot of times he sort of put on the show it was like it was so he'd tell these jokes and the jokes would be funny um like you know uh why does the the duck uh that's in the front of the v why is he in the front because he's the fastest like he'd tell these like jokes like that and they're sort of like you said they were funny they're sort of yeah they're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of sort of like funny like a like kid joke type of yeah, thing yeah but then when you'd like week 11 he'd retell it right so then you think to yourself like wait if i was on the same team for like eight or nine years <laughs> yeah. those jokes do reset. and then he'd come when he came back the second year and i was only with him for a couple weeks the second year you i remember sort of hearing a joke or two that like oh i heard that last yeah, year i sort of remember yeah. where we were when i heard that joke so he does have these like repeating <laughs> But he likes to he likes to entertain. I'll say that there was a I think it was in the Gruden camp with him where they sat down for an hour and watched his old film and went through it where they had all these clips of him making fun of guys. So and, well, not only that, by the way, Favre was RPO before RPO was cool. By yeah, the way, because yeah. he was it was a run and it was a pass option for Brett. <laughs> it was like, hey, uh, Sidney Rice, run a slant on this one. If the guy moves, I'm gonna throw it right behind his ear. Yeah, and uh, and that's how he played. So uh, they were they called them tags, but. Um, that was a part of his deal was like, it's run play, but if that guy is is overly aggressive on the run, I can throw it right over the top of him because he's going to be tied up with our you know tight end, yeah. and I can throw somebody a ball. That's a great place to throw a slant on a run play, right? Suck him up just for a half a second and then boom, right over their ear. Uh, Favre was sort of the original RPO quarterback. And they went through that with Gruden where he was talking about how he basically got bored in practice and just got tired of handing off and he yeah, wanted to find know, ways to throw the ball more. Yeah, <laughs> 17 years, and uh, but, but also so when you're watching film, this is that when you're looking for, like you're looking for those little details. Yeah. Like, you know, when they're in this front, how does that outside linebacker, does he immediately tie up with the the, the tight end or a tackle uh, on that original, literally first step or first two steps of the run action? And if he does that, man, that's, look at that window right there. Yeah. I can see this big window right, right behind him or whatever that there's just nobody there. The strong safety is all the way in the box and that's a great spot. I'd love to throw a slant right there mm-hmm. uh, because if you just straight drop back, that window's not going to be there because he's going to drop right, right back into your spot. So Favre was seeing that type of stuff on that initial first two, three-step run action, and then boom, he stick his foot in the ground and throw a no-look pass behind someone's ear. I mean, that, that's where it was sort of incredible. And there was times where he threw it when it wasn't a great look. It's like, wow, he just sort of found a way to like look mm-hmm. off the linebacker, to like look him to the flat, to then blindly throw it right behind him. Sage Rosenfels in studio with us here for a couple more minutes. So I've wanted to play this game with you for a long time which is to open up your cell phone and look at the contacts because it's hilarious how many people a journeyman quarterback runs into and it gets is. to know. So, I do have the same phone phone number from my Dolphin years. I was a sprint person at the time. I <laughs> uh, didn't have great service down there, so I switched. And at that time, you could actually keep my number. Originally, you couldn't keep your number. Yeah, like, like yeah, no yeah. one changed. And I was like, that's ridiculous. So, But I could keep my number, and I've kept it ever since my Dolphin years. So the best number... I don't know what what you have in your phone, Courtney. The best number I have is Wayne Gretzky. One time, well, we, I mean that's that's, one, yeah, that's one, good. One time we got him on a show, and I got his number to call him to get him on the show, and I'm like, I'm saving that thing. And I've never tried it again, but it's like I have Wayne here in my hand. I don't have Wayne Gretzky or like a Michael Jordan or anything like that. I do, but they're more random. Yes, that's my, the best part is yeah. that they are so random. So I, I want to. So just, I looked up you, by the way. So I typed in C O L L when we were off air, and Nick Collison came up. Just classic. Well, he's from Iowa. Why wouldn't I right. know? You know, there's a, we have sort of a fraternity over, over there. So let's pick another letter. Let's go with Seth's name starts with A. It's A U. And do you have any one with it? I mean, there's going to be, well. Okay, what's what do you got for A? AU's a tough one. Austin Arnott, an old Iowa State quarterback. (laughs) There you go. Very random. Or you could just, uh, I mean. AU's a tough one. Seth, do you have some Seths? Do I have any? Do I have Seth in here? Seth Payne? Who is a radio show yeah, in Houston, yeah, yeah, yeah. Texans a, radio uh, show. Defensive tackle, D-Lyman. actually, from I, my hometown. And he went to the Ivy, I think it was an Ivy League he guy. Was, yep, he was from uh, Rochester, New York, I think. There you go. That's my Seth. That's great. That's All right, go random. with uh, G. G. Okay, hold on one second. 
Well, Gary machine. Kubiak's got to be in there. Of course. Uh, well, no, because Kubiak is just under Kubiak. Okay. Uh, Greg Cosell, Glenn Kaplan, uh, George Edwards. So George Edwards, there you go. Um, going down here, all these, all these. Uh, Rich Gannon, Jason Garrett, who I had dinner with in at the Combine, which was a great experience. Um, let's see here. How about, like, here's a random one. George Cunningham. Wouldn't mean anything to you guys. Yeah. He's from Algon, Iowa. He was an offensive lineman in Iowa State. Runs the security at the Rose Bowl. That's a nice wow, contact to like have. the 40th degree of separation. When you, when you take your kids to the Rose Bowl. So you get that nice first-class treatment. We walk right past all the security That's sort of stuff. Awesome. It was very nice because he is the security. Oh, everybody with the Giants on that. So you're talking about, like, from Jerry Reese. Uh, to uh, the head trainer Ronnie Barnes, who's been there well, that's forever. That's right, because you finished your career with type the Giants, in, right? When I first come to a team, that's a thing you do. You can't just type in like George Payton. That wouldn't hit your brain if it's the first time you ever met him. You type in Vikings George oh, okay. Payton, sure. okay, or, or whatever it is, right? So you you type in these little uh, <laughs> Kevin Gilbride uh, would be on that list. Um, Golden Tate are on the G's. Uh, Greenway, uh, Mike Green, who's not Brian Greasy. Otis Grigsby, who played up here a little bit. These are all random. G- Gus Ferrat. Who is the most random celebrity you have? Like non-football. I, I'd have to go through. I don't know. I'd yeah. have to go that, through. That's like asking thousands. a really tough question. Well, I thought that's you mentioned to me some singer that you had in there or or bassist or something. But A bassist. I don't know. I don't know if it was a bassist. I, I, think I felt like to... it was like a random band singer or something that you had run into. You need to look through the phone to see if you can get somebody to hook Lola up with meeting Steph Curry today. Well, you have to have some contact yeah, in so there. Yeah, so while I'm, while I'm here and we're going to this game, tonight, yeah, we're trying to. Well, I'm, I'm working Dr. Burns. The, the team doctor working Dr. Burns. I saw him at the combine too. So we'll see if he gets back to me today, but he got us into the locker room last, uh, t- a couple of years ago. I brought my kids to a game and, uh, it was when Kevin Love was playing. So my, I have yeah. a picture of my kids holding up his giant Kevin Love shoe in front of his locker at, you know, and during the middle of the game or when, whatever it was, we got back there. So awesome. it would be really cool to meet Steph Curry. I would be, I would love to meet Steve Kerr. Uh, I, my favorite, uh, uh, player is, um, is t- uh, Thompson or whatever. Clay, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson. Yeah, that's my shot. favorite. Just loved, I love how completely balanced he is when he it's shoots amazing. that basketball. Yeah. It's, a, it's like a perfection thing. It's really fun to watch. I like watching teams like, like I don't like what, my son likes the Houston Rockets from my time in Houston. That was sort of the time where he got into liking sports. But I can't stand watching those types of games. I didn't watch Carmelo play, but you know, Harden and, and the way he sort of holds the ball. I like yep. it when the ball is moving. Yeah. I like watching the Spurs back when they had their run. I like when the ball moves, and, and this uh, Steph Curry-led team does that. Sage, it was awesome to have you in. I hope fun. we can do it again soon. Sounds good. And I, I hope you have I'll, a great time back. tonight. Uh, thank you. Beautiful. All right, we will take a break. Uh, Courtney, what's coming up next on the station? Do you I know? Think from, yeah, about three minutes away from Score North Live with Matthew Collar. And who's a guest? Um... Go with Frank Thomas. Be station I was talking about him before the break. She once botched who the guest was coming up. So I, I said, just was... make up guests. Frank Thomas is not on the show. No, he's not. Who not is on the show today? Uh, Do you have anybody? Actually, the uh, women gophers coach, Brad Frost, because they're in the Frozen Four. He's going to okay. come up at 220. We'll talk some Almost baseball, Almost as too. good as Frank Thomas. Almost. Sage, thanks for coming in. We'll do it again soon. Thank you all for listening here. And Coming up next, Score North Live here on Score North.